I'm Floyd Hughes, the pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Jefferson Hills. And although we as Christians come from different denominations and cultures, we all have one job above all others, share the gospel. To help make that easier for every Christian, I've written an evangelism series, three books on evangelism for the whole family. The first book, Evangelism Easy as One, Two, Three, is the book for adults. The second book, Evangelism as Easy as ABC, is the book for youth and children. I wrote it with my eight-year-old niece because she has a great perspective on talking to her friends about Jesus. And the third book, The Evangelism ABCs, is a picture book for smaller children. Each book is age-specific and not meant to be a way to get people into our buildings, but they're resources to help Christians do the most important thing that God has called us to do, talk to the people in our circles of influence about the gospel. All the books are available in print or ebook format on Amazon today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, We are continuing a series that we started uh, kind of focusing on things that the church should be talking more about. Uh, answering the question that you guys proposed, what should the church talk about more often? Uh, And both folks online and in the room kind of asked about this topic that we started last week that we're going to continue on this morning. Uh, But really quick, um, there's a lot of responses that you guys gave, and we're going to get to them. And as I said earlier, uh, the response that people wrote out, both online and in uh, wrote about, hey, how come you know, you're not responding to the questions people submitted about the LGBTQT community uh, and what the Bible says about that? And again, uh, when Mark and I did the podcast, we had no idea that the other hadn't spoke about it. And we had no, no idea that we had the same reasons on why we didn't spoke about it. And we were like, but uh, let's do a podcast uh, uh, kind of praying about it. And again, the reason we didn't do it during Pride Month is because it just gets lost in the noise. People who are for are yelling, people who are against are yelling. No one's listening to each other. So it would have been a waste of time, which is what we both separately decided uh, and agreed to. However, there are people who said, when we asked the question, what should we be talking about more? They're like, we should be talking about more about, you know, uh, what does the Word of God say about sexuality and homosexuality and all those things. Uh, And I am going to get to that, but for the same reason that Mark and I didn't bring it up in June, I didn't bring that up during June, and I'm waiting till well past June to bring it up, because I don't want it to get lost in the noise. It's a serious question, serious topic, serious message, so I want people to hear it and not just it get funneled through their lens of everything else that's being talked about. But this morning we're going to continue talking about apologetics, which is what we started last week. That was one of the things people online and in the room asked about. And I feel like last week, maybe because I was kind of focused more on vacation than on the message, I felt like I was rambling last week. So if you were here last week, I apologize that I just kind of rambled. 
Uh, if you're here this week and you weren't here last week, you just get the summarized version, which is what should happen last week, with just the details. So apologetics, it's a word, doesn't mean apologizing for, it's a Greek word, means making a legal or formal defense or justification for something. And it's the word that's used throughout the Bible, mostly in um, the New Testament, uh, and it's used whenever people were defending the faith. That's where it comes from. That's where the topic comes from. Uh, and if you look, the most popular verse that's used in is 1 Peter 3.15, where we kind of pulled this from, because uh, Peter was writing to people who were being criticized and judged and harassed and killed for their faith. Uh, and the whole kind of basis of that verse is when we are being ridiculed, which we as Christians will be ridiculed for our faith. When we're being criticized, we will be criticized for our faith, or just questioned about our faith. People just want to know, why do you believe in that? Uh, we should always be prepared to give a logical, reasonable answer or defense for the hope we have in Christ, but do it with courteously. Do it courteously. Do it humbly, not humbling to them, but humbling ourselves before Christ, and do it respectfully. Respect to them. Because what Peter was saying, hey, they're coming after you hard, they're judging you, they're criticizing you, they're coming to kill you, but we're not them. We're the people of God with the Holy Spirit of God, so we should be able to give a logical defense. But here's what we believe in that. Some versions say answer, some versions say defense. It's the same word apologia, which is where we get apologetics. And whenever we start talking about apologetics or teaching people to defend or answer, here's what they believe, it starts with a discussion of truth. And truth is something that's certain, it's a reality, it's objective, it's not subjective, meaning it's true in all circumstances, not only true in this circumstance or that circumstance. Many people confuse a, a perspective or an opinion for a truth, not the case. Something that's true is true or real or factual for any matter under consideration. The most basic understanding of that is one plus one equals two everywhere in the universe. If you go to the moon, one plus one equals two. If you go to the sun, you're going to die. But when you die, one plus one is still going to equal two. If you go to, you know, uh, anywhere, any bank in the world, one plus one equals two. doesn't matter what type of money they're using. So once we have an understanding of truth and we know that truth exists, then we can supply evidence for the things that we believe. Evidence doesn't prove anything. Right? How many people have ever seen a court TV show of any type? Right? How many people have actually been to, uh, what's it called, jury duty? Anyone ever performed jury duty? Okay. Sidebar, anyone ever watched that show called jury duty? Okay. Ask Christy about it. It's, it's, it's funny. But you, if you've been on jury duty or you've watched a court show, you know you could have a room with 12 jurors. They present their evidence. They are all seeing the same evidence. Some people say innocent. Some people say guilty. They all saw the exact same evidence, but came away with different conclusions. Some people say, yeah, you proved your case. You're innocent. Some people say, no, you didn't. You're guilty. Sometimes they all say, yes, you proved your case. Sometimes they all say, no, you didn't. Evidence doesn't prove anything. It's just facts that support a position, and most evidence comes under scientific, of which forensic is a type of scientific evidence, historical or archaeological. So that's the whole basis of when we go. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to know every piece of scientific, historic, or archaeological evidence to kind of defend what you believe. But there is evidence to support, and this is, 
this is like the, the, the basis for simple things that people can communicate to effectively show, not prove, but show that God exists. It's objectively true that God exists because there's evidence to support it. It's objectively true that the Bible is God's revelation. It's objectively true that Jesus was resurrected and that we can be a part of God's kingdom. This is, these are all the things that are the basis for the gospel, right? And we talked about the evidence for God's existence. There's so much more. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the evidence that the Bible is God's revelation. And then over the next two weeks we're going to focus on the resurrection, which normally people focus on on Easter. But then, again, it gets lost in the noise for those people who don't want to listen to that evidence because they're like, it's Easter. That's what everyone's talking about. Uh, and the fact that we can be a part of God's kingdom. Because a lot of false teachers will come and say, no, Jesus was not resurrected. That's an analogy. A lot of false teachers will say, no, it's not that you get to be a part of God's kingdom. Everyone does no matter what they do, no matter what they believe, yada, yada, yada. And that's not true, right? So there is so much evidence that supports uh, the fact that the Bible is true and that it's God's revelation to humanity. I mean, so much evidence. It's not like you have to do anything. You're not even talking about miracles. Just talking about the evidence that shows that God. And it's the same type of evidence that people believe for everything else they believe that happened in history. Like people, and, and you guys have probably seen, there's memes going around about people saying, I don't believe the Bible because it was written by man. Is anyone aware of a book that wasn't written by a man or a woman? I mean, if you have a dog that writes a book, I hope you're a millionaire, but other than that, every book in human history was written by man. So to say I don't believe the Bible because it was written by man doesn't make sense. So if you eliminate all the people that are just trying to argue and debate, uh, there's so many pieces of evidence that show that the Bible is true and that it's God's revelation to humanity. And I'm going to give you some, but this is not even one that, that you even have to bring up, but it's true. And that's the, the fact that the Bible, single unique message communicated by over 40 authors across multiple languages before Facebook, before texting, before mail was even invented, same message over different continents over the span of 1,600 years. So before planes and airmail or any of that, people on this continent who thought we're the only people around and people on this continent who thought we're the only people around were all communicating the same message because it came from the same divine author. Now, some people will say, well, that, that, that's not evidence, and I get that. But he, here's the thing that, <laughs> to think about. Um, how many, well... I don't know if you guys are aware, but I watch a lot of TV. So right now, there's not only a writer's strike, but I think yesterday or the day before, all the actors went on strike too. You guys hear that? Watch that on the news? Yeah. So um, right now, reality TV is king because that's all you got. All the summer shows where they you know, haven't done those episodes yet uh, that they're supposed to be doing now that would air probably next month, we're not going to see. So get used to reality TV. But here's the thing. The last time this happened where there was the writer's strike, uh, one of my favorite shows uh, was called Heroes. Did anybody watch that show called Heroes? Save the cheerleaders, save the world. All right, thank you, Joe, because otherwise I look weird being the only one. But great TV show. First year was fabulous. It was great. It was exciting. But then the writer's strike happened. And they went ahead and did a second season. 
but they brought in a whole different group of writers. So the whole theme and the whole message and the whole show was totally different and everyone hated it because it was a totally different writer. It's kind of like if you go to a restaurant and you have an appetizer and you're like, oh, this is delicious. And then you have the main course and you're like, oh, this is delicious. But then the person who brings out the dessert, totally different chef. So the dessert kind of tastes like all they got was Cheerios without, no, without the milk. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the same quality as the first two because it's a totally different chef. And you would sense those differences. But with the Bible, over 40 different people, right? Different people. Some of them didn't know each other. Some of them did. Uh, over 1,600 years. So it wasn't like my great-great-great-grandmother told me this. It had to be her grandmother times 10, right? And it's on different continents and different languages because some of these people didn't even know the other people groups existed. But they all had the same message. This... Although it's evidence, not even the evidence I want to talk to, but here's the same message that they were all communicating. And this is from Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And the thing that they were talking about that happened was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus starts talking to them. They start criticizing Jesus like, dude, do you not know what just happened? Jesus was killed. He was put on a cross. He was like dead, but we had our hope in him. Jesus' response is, look, hey, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets uh, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus took, now they didn't have the New Testament at the time, Jesus took every book of the Old Testament. And he said, hey, do you remember uh, the book of Genesis? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, that's about me. He's like, do you remember the book of Exodus where God formed, you know, freed the slaves and then he pointed them into the law? Yeah, that's about me. He took the minor prophets, the major prophets, the historical books, and he said, these are all about me. Because that's the central theme of the entire Bible, right? And again, that's not even the evidence that I want to show you. That, that, that's not it. So let me show you this because there is so much evidence that supports that the Bible is true and that it's God's revelation to humanity. Disclaimer, I was a bit lazy, I'm going to be honest. So there's so much information out there, but I went and took information from a message that we did a few years ago on the Exodus, right? Because how many of you guys remember when we walked through the Exodus? It was years ago. Nobody remembers. That's okay. There'll be like brand new information to you, okay? But when we walked through the Exodus, I walked through like 10 pieces of archaeological and historical information that showed that it actually happened, that the Bible is true. So that's what I'm going to share with you now. Now, the first piece of evidence, my clicker's not working, uh, is this document called the Ipuwer Papyrus. If you have a smartphone, type this into Google search. Uh, it's I-P-U-W-E-R, papyrus, and look it up. If you don't, Write it down so you could look it up later, because I don't want anyone to think, oh, boy, just, that's not even a real word. He just made this stuff up. But if you look up uh, the first one, that I, I, 
Ipuer, and I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it is spelled correctly, papyrus, here's what it is. It's a document from an Egyptian official. Now, how many people have ever heard the statement that, hey, if that whole thing about the Exodus is true, how come there's no evidence of it anywhere but in the Bible? Anyone ever hear that? Like I hear people say all the time, why isn't there information in Egypt about this? This is like the biggest thing that would have happened in Egypt. And there is. There is. This is a document not from anyone from the Bible, not from any Jewish person. It's from an Egyptian official who wrote out this document, and here's what he wrote. He wrote all these things. He said, first and foremost, the river is full of blood. That was the first plague of the Exodus. Then he wrote, there's plague. Now, he wrote all this at once, but he also wrote, there's plague and pestilence all over, which were most of the plagues that God did were bringing in flies and frogs and lice, and, and people were getting sick because he was, number one, wanted to reveal himself to the people. Number two, wanted to let the Israelites go. But number three, he also wanted to judge the gods, false gods, of Egypt. So this is what this Egyptian... And again, if you look up this document, it's a document. It's in a museum somewhere. It's been validated not by Jewish people, but by archaeologists that this is real. It's dated. And it wasn't like... You know, 20 years ago, somebody faked it and snuck it into a museum. Here's the other thing the official said, that the power of Ra is not seen. Ra is the sun god. One of the plagues was three days of darkness. Again, I'm not saying this proves, but it is sufficient evidence because it matches up exactly to what the Bible said, and it's not a biblical person that wrote it. Right? Then he also said this, the children are dying, which was the 10th plague, although it wasn't just the children, it was the firstborn. And here's the one that's the, the kicker for me, because this wasn't a major plague, but it's something that God said would happen at least, if I recall correctly, two times to Moses. And then in the end, when the, Egyptians are, when the Israelites are leaving Egypt, the Bible records that this happened. This Egyptian official wrote, the slaves took the silver and the gold. And God told Moses at least two times, uh, I'm going to bless you so much that all of the Egyptians will give you gold and silver. It's like only mentioned two times, so it's kind of like an afterthought. Most people don't pay attention to it. But when it says they left, it said they left with gold and silver and jewels from the people of Egypt. Some of them gave them as an act of worship. Some of them gave them like, we're paying you to get out of here because of, you brought all these plagues on us. But whatever the reason, it lines up with what the Bible says. Here's another one. Uh, there's an inscription called the Soleb inscription. So again, write this down or look it up. This is not a document that someone could fake. This is an inscription carved into a temple, uh, and I think it was by, uh, found in a temple built by Amenhotep III. And on it, it lists, here's several groups of nomadic people, nomadic meaning they're wandering just kind of like uh, traveling around people, and it uses the phrase in the list of nomadic people, the nomads of Yahweh, which supports the Bible stance that the Egyptians wandered in the desert. And not only that, uh, let me see if I have the actual date here. Um, yeah, so this was, uh, this temple was built somewhere around 1400 B.C., right? 
The people that found this temple, I forget when they found it. I want to say early 1900s, 1920, 1930, maybe 1950. Uh, they, and you can go see pictures, black and white pictures of, because you know, that's what you do. You find an artifact, you take a picture, look what we just found. Um, and you can find those online. But it is, because it dates back to 1400 BC, it is the oldest reference to the name Yahweh outside of the Bible. So it's not that the Bible made up this name and made up this story. Here again, you have in Egypt, this temple, where inscribed on this temple, and they've dated it back, uh, is the phrase, the nomads of Yahweh, confirming that they wandered in the desert and confirming the name of their God, Yahweh. Uh, this last one is probably one of my favorites. Uh, it's called the Manetho Letters. Uh, again, write this down. You can go look it up later. And, and here is what they said. Uh, this is um, an Egyptian priest and historian who lived around 320 B.C., somewhere around that. Around 320 B.C., this Egyptian priest and historian starts researching the history of Egypt. And 320 B.C., this Egyptian historian and priest writes, hey, here's what I found in the history of our nation and our people, he found that there was a group that came from Canaan into Egypt, which is where the Israelites come from. They were kicked out by agreement. That's their perspective. God freed them, but they say kicked out by agreement. He confirms that they wandered in the desert then went to Jerusalem and built a temple. Now, the books of Moses were written around 1400 B.C., 1440 1420, 1440 B.C., 1,100 years later, this Egyptian historian says, hey, I'm going to go dig into the history of Egypt, and he finds information not in the Bible, but in his nation's history that supports the claims of the Bible. Now, let me give you a few other things really quick, how we know the Bible is true, because the Bible is true. That's great. This is historical. This is archaeological. But shouldn't there be some evidence of these supernatural claims that the Bible makes, right? You would expect to find that. So now I'm going to go to Scripture really quick, um, because these three, the Ipua Papyrus, Solib Inscription, Manapho Letters, you can find them in museums. You can look at them online. Uh, but here's some other evidence, right? In the book of Isaiah, and we've talked about this before, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into... Here's what was happening. Isaiah wrote this somewhere 720, 740 B.C. The nation of Israel was in disobedience to God. God sent people to say, hey, if you're in disobedience, I'm going to bring people to conquer your nation. Because you're not willing to do my will, I'm going to step back and say, okay, and let them come in and conquer you. You will no longer be under my protection. False prophets would come up and say, God would never allow us to fall as a nation. Don't believe them. That's not what the word of God says. And then Isaiah, God says to Isaiah, tell them this, that this is what I say. I'm the redeemer. I'm the one who foils the false prophets. But then he says this. I'm also the one who says to the watery deep, be dry, 
right? Referring to the not one but two times that he uh, parted rivers so his people could go across, which they were aware of. And he says, I will dry up your streams. And he also says, I'm the one who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This made no sense to them because there was no king who existed named Cyrus. Cyrus wouldn't come to exist for another 200 years, right? He says this, and here's why he said it, and this is important. This is why we believe the word of God. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze, cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name for the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen. I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. He makes it crystal clear. Cyrus, you don't know who I am, and he couldn't because he didn't exist. He says, but I'm going to do this for my people Israel. I'm going to raise you up, but I'm specifically calling you by name, and this is your destiny, and I'm doing it for my people. Right? Now, I'm going to skip the next verse because I want you to see this. 200 and some 20 some odd years later, 18 years later, however, 200 and something years later, this is what happens. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, which did not exist at the time that Isaiah wrote, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was the prophet who was saying, hey, God's going to take us into captivity, and when he does, just grin and bear it, because then he's going to allow us to go back to our nation and rebuild the temple, and people didn't believe him. Um, but he said, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, who they were under at this time, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put in writing, and here's what he said, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. 200 years before he was born, uh, this man named Isaiah writes that, hey, this prophetic thing is going to happen. None of us are thinking about what's going to happen. We're just thinking about where are we going to go for lunch today. None of us are trying to figure out what's going to happen 200 years from now in our nation, even though we're in turmoil and we're seeing all this division. We're not thinking about that right now. But this is what Isaiah said. He didn't give a timeline, but he said this is what's going to happen. And over 200 years later, with alarming specificity, a man named Cyrus, who happened to come to power, and to happen to be the most powerful nation on the planet and one of the wealthiest, just like God said, and who defeated kingdoms that were bigger and mightier than his, just like God said, and then sent the people that were under his domain back to their homeland to build a temple, just like God said. This is why we believe and know that the Bible is true. Now, granted, people will say, well, you're proving the Bible with the Bible. Okay, Go, first of all, they forget that all of these books of the Bible, they're just separate, separate historical documents that have been compiled into the Bible. Right? The book of Isaiah wasn't a part of the Bible. The book of Jeremiah wasn't a part of the Bible. They were just historical documents that people wrote. Just because they're compiled into the Bible doesn't make them any less true. But you can go and look up and see 
who the Cyrus king of Persia was, all the kingdoms he accomplished or, or conquered, and the things that he allowed the people to do. Right? So here's, here's, here's the thing. Again, there is so much information that we don't have time to go into, but here's the question that we have to ask because if we believe the Bible is true, which hopefully we all believe, if we believe the Bible is the word of God and his revelation to humanity, which hopefully we, we all believe, then we have to ask, why don't God's people read it more? There are atheists and professors who read the Bible and know it inside and out. They know the words in it. They don't understand the context of it because they don't have the spirit of God. But we're the Holy Spirit-filled people of God. And we are supposed to live and die by this. This is our marching orders. This is God's revelation to humanity. This is how God equips us to get through all this craziness we see going on in our world every single day. And for most people, it sits on the shelf until Sunday. And so do not raise your hand to this. But here's the question I often ask people. I was like, so how many people read the Bible regularly? I mean, even I, I got to be honest, I don't read it every single day. There's some days I don't get to it. Uh, but for the most part, I try to read Old Testament chapter, a New Testament chapter that's not related to what we're talking about on Sunday, just to like edify and build myself up. And I always, always, always find something like, wow, I needed that. That was, that was just what I needed today. Or the, I, I read it in the morning and find later on, you know what? It's a good thing I read that passage this morning because that is going to help fuel me through this circumstance today. So here's the thing. If we believe it is the word of God and that it is true, everything in it is true, then why don't we read it regularly? But also, why don't we read more than just what the Sunday scriptures are about? Granted, today, we're, I mean, this series, we're walking through different topics, but normally we walk through books of the Bible, and I talk to many, many pastors, and even with pastors, I'm not trying to call anyone out, because I will, I will ask them, so hey, I, I just finished reading this and this, um, I'm looking for another book of the Bible to just dig into, what are you guys reading that's not related to your Sunday sermon, and a lot of them will say, I'm not reading anything, the only thing I read is stuff related to the Sunday sermon, and I read it once a week, and I'm like, do you tell your people to read the Bible regularly? And they were like, yeah. And I'm like, but you're not doing that. That doesn't seem to mesh. I think if I'm telling you guys, you should read the Bible more often, I should be reading the Bible more often. If I don't believe what I'm saying, why should I expect you to? Right? Again, I shouldn't be the standard for how you live your life, but I'm just saying. And here's the question, don't raise your hand. Also, do we realize if we are not reading the Bible regularly, then we are the biggest problem to the body of Christ. This is why so many people get misled by scriptures from false preachers. This is why so many people uh, have denominations that are falling apart and splitting because one says the Bible says this, one says the Bible says that. I'm not going to call out any denominations, but in a lot of denominations, the way they work is they have representatives uh, who kind of make the decisions for the denomination. Most of those representatives don't know the Bible they're not pastors. They don't read the Bible regularly. You know who they listen to? They're politicians, social media, YouTube, and TV. And that's how they're making decisions about this denomination that's supposed to be doing the work and the will of God. 
And I'm not making this up because every time I hear denomination splitting, I ask these questions. Well, who's making these decisions? Well, we have these people named this and these people titled this, and they make the decisions for the denomination. Are they pastors? No. Have they, like, studied the Bible for a living? No. They're butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers who open the Bible on Sunday. But they're making decisions about the people of God. And that should not be. We should be consuming the word of God. Here's what last verse, as the band comes up, I'm going to share this with you. Uh, here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Let that sink in for a minute. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. Now, there's a lot of spiritual context there, but here's what I want you to see. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, I'm out. <laughs> that's a hard teaching. That's kind of weird. You're getting a little... I was with you when you were like, feed the poor, but now you're like, eat your flesh. I'm out. But here's what Jesus said. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Here is the key. The disciples, the people who were learning, you know, hey, we want to learn to be like Christ. We want to learn what Jesus does. We want to learn and go out and live and do what he says. Some of them were like, I'm out. I'm done. The apostles, the people who Jesus, because not all disciples were apostles, there were 12 apostles, who Jesus handpicked to say, hey, I need you guys to be the messengers that take this truth to the world. Jesus asked them, do you guys want to leave too? And here's what Peter said. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This Bible that sits on our shelves, that sits in our offices, that sits in hotel drawers, it's not just an average book. These are the words of the living God. And if we believe God exists and he's real, and if we believe the word of God is true, then we should be consuming it daily. In the same way, and not to say it's a disease, but in the same way that like a person who has, a, has to take dialysis in order to live, they don't skip and say, I'm not going to do that this week. I'm going to skip the next couple of weeks and then I'll catch up on Sunday. Their life depends on it. The person uh, who has to do chemo and, and, and all that stuff for cancer, they don't like, oh, I'll, when I'll get around to it, I'm going golfing this week instead or I'm going to do this instead. Their life depends on it. We have to understand that the spiritual life of the body of Christ depends on us feeding on and consuming and knowing the word of God. And when we don't, we see what we see today. A lifeless church that has no impact on the world and that is crumbling and dividing because they're not consuming the word of God. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. God, we pray that every single person, not just in this room, but who calls themselves a follower of your word, would take to heart the seriousness of the words in the Bible that we would not just read it on Sunday, that we would not just flip through it on Monday, that we would not just take pictures of it, but that we would realize that your word, like you said, those are the words of eternal life. And we pray that if we believe, and we do, that you are God and that you exist, and that if we believe, and we do, that the Bible is true, 
And we pray that if we believe and we do, that your words can fill us, inspire us, sustain us, and encourage us and get us through the trials and struggles of this crazy world, then we pray that we would consume it every single day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.